Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. Sam, what's shaking with you? Hmm. Hey, I just found out what my new superhero name is. Oh, really? I, I, not superhero. Super villain name. Huh? Yes, yes. I posted this this uh, ominous positivity meme about uh, stop waiting for someone to come along and corrupt you. Embrace the darkness within yourself and become the super villain you're supposed to be. And then I asked people, so what should my name be? And the best answer I got was the naked owl. <laughs> well, if you were naked, it'd have to be a little place that's blacked out there. So that would be a barred owl. You still end up being I'm a barred not. owl. No matter what. <laughs> well done, Don. Well done. <laughs> hey, did, have you looked at the website lately? Did you see did that? look at we got all kinds of information we added to the bottom of it. Yes, including statistics of the cities that have the most downloads of the boil. Yeah, down. most listens and all that. Um, but the cool thing was the weird stuff that showed up. Now, we got like countries all over uh, the U.S., of course, the U.K., Canada, Australia, Ireland, Sweden, Mexico, New Zealand, Kenya. I'm not going to read through all of them because it just goes on and on. And we get all the way down into Indonesia, Guam, Sri Lanka. We've got tons of places that folks are listening, but the crazy Hi, thing, everybody. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> indeed. Thank you all. Um, the cool thing was the the cities, the top cities. Yeah. yeah. So, you would expect uh, our area where, well, you're not here anymore, but uh, originally we started in North Carolina. Right. So in Greensboro. Our, and and so Greensboro. And that, that is the top city still. Yeah. And then Atlanta. Which, Atlanta, yeah. That's, you know, I've yeah, got a lot of friends a, in Atlanta, and, and I'm not... That's a big metropolitan area. What is the third one? New York? Well, um, Sparks, Nevada. What's going on in Sparks, Nevada? Sparks, Nevada. We have the third highest most listeners in Sparks, Nevada. Absolutely. I, I don't know what's going on. We had, I had to look it up on, on Google Maps and, 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 and see what's going on there. You know, I'd never heard of Sparks, Nevada either. And I was, I'm thinking like, what could, Sparks, Nevada must have a lot of bars. Because <laughs> they're generating alcoholics in Sparks. Well, you know, I mean, they are, uh, they, they are adjacent at least to a locale with lots of bars. But one of the things that I did note when I was um, uh, Googling Sparks, Nevada, and, and then I threw Alcoholics Anonymous in there, is there's an intergroup office in Sparks, Nevada. Ah. I bet there's some activity going on in that intergroup office, and we would love to hear from you folks in Sparks, Nevada. Yes. Um, let us know what's going on. Reach out. Uh, hey, let's have a guest from Sparks, Nevada. I'd love to have a guest from Sparks and you, so that you can tell us what's going on there as it 
maybe there's like more treatment centers than there are bars. Wait, is that where that Malibu passage is? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Man, the ads I see on TV for those uh, those vacation retreatments, uh, retreatment centers. That's an interesting retreatment retreatment center. <laughs> yeah, well, if you don't get it the first time, you can always go into retreatment. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, we really would love to hear for somebody from Sparks and uh, give us a what's the address? Give a hoot. It is. It's give a hoot at boiledowlaa.org. Or you can just hit us on the website, boiledowlaa.org. Yeah, get in touch with us. Somebody volunteer from Sparks and tell us what's going on there. Yeah, Sparks, we demand a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. You know, I got something special here. I want to do a little game, but I think I want to bring our guest in. Oh, it's always better when you got more people to play a game. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Introduce yourself. Well, I am Julie, and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome, hey, Julie, Julie. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for being here. When did you get sober? Uh, my sobriety date is yeah. May 8th, 2005. All right, well. Then you've been around before. I'm going to, these are, this is some questions, statistics from the 2014 AA survey. Oh, so let me go, do you, let me go get that pamphlet. No, nope, do cheese. not look at it. You'll be cheating if you go onto it. Look at, don't Google it. <laughs> hey, we are not saints. <laughs> so here's the question. Team A and Team B. Team Julie and Team Sam. You're playing for yourself. <laughs> team Naked Owl. And your ancestors. I... Okay, I'm a team and of your one. Ancestors. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was a survey of the members of AA. You know, oh, AA now, if you Wait, wait. By the end of this, if you don't go, survey says. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> What I want to know is, out of the membership of AA, what is the percentage of people who have been sober more than five years? I think I remember 20%. What say you, Bard Al? <laughs> I say 17%. Survey says 27% is less than one year. One to five years is 24%. And five years or more is 49%. 49%. Yeah. I would love to know how these numbers are collected because we, with us being such an unorganized body of, of recovering alcoholics, it's a yeah. rather self-selecting. It would be. These are people who volunteered group. to yeah. put the information in. So, you know, maybe the, the people who come to AA that have been sober more than five years, there's a lot of representation there. But I thought that was kind of high as far as uh, less than one year, 27%. It's curious of how they got that number because how are they tracking down the people who aren't in AA? Well, that's not tracked. Yeah, so it's just so people it, who have picked us a start chip and they have up to one year. So it's people who are actively in AA who have achieved a year okay yes yeah so that's so it, what it, it doesn't is. measure the people who stopped coming which it is doesn't who who we really need to talk to yeah right but you know 
my favorite story with that is I have a friend in AA who's a uh, mathematician. She's a professor. She called up. She was drinking and said, well, I don't want to get involved in this. I'm a mathematician and I want to know the percentages of this thing and how it works. So what percentage of people who come into AA stay sober? And the person on the phone, get this, said, well, I think if you want to quit drinking, there's a 100% chance you'll be able to do it with AA. And if you don't want to quit drinking, there's a 100% chance you won't be able to. <laughs> it's a good point there. What an I answer. also love the idea that, uh, you know, 100% of those people who don't drink stay sober. <laughs> That's it. But what that person did was just throw it right back on willingness. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it put a, a similar statement. If someone wants to get sober, I can't say anything wrong. And if they don't want to get sober, I can't say anything right. Yeah, that's right. So, okay. This is going to be a survey. We'll go back and forth. I want you to name. What do you think is on the list of the top five ways that people find out and come into AA. What is their introduction into AA? So what do you say, Julie? Treatment centers. Treatment centers. Ding, 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 ding. Wait, I got Definitely do internet. Internet better be on that list. Of course, this was 2014. I mean. Yeah, right. Internet is not on the list. I bet it is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not in the top. Julie. A friend or a family member. Family member. Ding, 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 ding. A psychiatrist is. or a, a counselor. You got it. That's on the list. Ding, 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 ding. Julie, you have two points. Sam has one point. Well, at Again. least we don't have Tommy keeping score. I'd be <laughs> negative 37 now. Right. <laughs> Julie, give me another one. Clergy. Clergy? Or church. Not on the list. Mm. Bartender. <laughs> Not on the list. <laughs> okay, you, any other guesses? Well, let's, let's hope a PSA. Not as one no. of the top five. <laughs> Here's what it is. Number six on the list was judicial. Oh, yeah. Number oh, yeah. five on the list was a counselor. Number four on the list was family member. Number three on the list was self-motivated. Number that two would be on internet. The, that could be. I mean, yeah, <laughs> who knows? Number two on the list was a treatment facility. And number one on the list, this is the way I came in, was through another AA member. So uh, 32% was through an AA member. 32% treatment facility, 30% self-motivated, 27% family, 12% judicial, and 13% through a counselor. Okay, one more question. The average meeting attendance, how many meetings a week? What do you think the survey says? That uh, an AA member attends? Attends, yeah. I'm say like two to three. And that's where I am too. Two to three, you're both right. 2.5. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah. 
You're all winners. Hey, I, 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 next time we do a quiz, uh, a pamphlet quiz, I think we ought to do the, 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 I didn't, it's, so it used to be 44 questions and they knocked it down to 10 questions. I think, I think we ought Uh to do the 10 questions quiz on you, Don. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, that's fun. We did that show a while back, a big book quiz, Stump the Thumpers. Look back in the feed and uh, give a listen to Stump the Thumpers. Man, that was fun. I love a game show. Yeah, especially the scorekeeping. (laughs) (laughs) So, Julie, tell us uh, about how you got sober. How did you come into AA? Well, I just, that's kind of a great question the way you ask it because you, you leave out a lot of the drunk that we always try to get tangled up in. Yeah. You go straight to the, to the, the yeah. point. And, you know, what happened to me was my cat told me that I had a drinking problem. Your cat? The cat did. That's awesome. I wonder if we'll see that on the next survey results. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> How many members came in? Through messages from their cat. <laughs> well, you know, so I had, had been on a binge and I was supposed to travel back to Tennessee to visit my family. It was in March and I couldn't figure out how I was going to do this, how I was going to make this trip without drinking and how I was going to deal with my family without drinking because my father is a member of AA and I just thought, you know, that's disrespectful to drink in front of an, someone who's in recovery. And so I had you know, about a week of just staying in my pajamas and being nasty. I had passed out on the um, living room floor of my little apartment. And I had no friends at this point because, you know, I'd pissed off everybody because I was a nasty person. And I came to and I looked up and the cat sitting right there at my face looking at me. And I heard this voice and it says, you have a problem. And this pain in my chest just radiated and I burst out into tears. And I don't know if the voice you know, came from the cat or in my head, or if that was the only thing that my higher power could use to speak to me, but that, that was my, my turning point. Wow, it's like through the cat's eyes, you <laughs> saw yourself. Right, well, you know, they, they stare into your soul anyhow. Those cats yeah. are creepy. they don't share their drugs either (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're selfish selfish and (laughs) self-centered the in the extreme (laughs) well that's uh you know that's the way i came into a was not a cat it was through it was a similar thing in that it was my son who uh was five years old at the time he came over and sat beside me and a neighbor said you know he watches every move you make and all of a sudden i was also spiritually dead and at the you know bottom with drinking and it just gave me complete clarity i could see all of a sudden that i do not control this it controls me in every way and and i came to aa I had I knew a couple of people in AA. You knew your your father was in AA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only experience I had had with AA was going to one of the anniversary celebrations where they have a cake. And the, I just remember, I was like maybe 13, 14 at the time. 
And I remember the room just being filled with smoke, you know, all the way down to the cake. But I thought, hey, there's cake. You know, yeah. this is great. But that, that was about all I knew of AA, you know, aside from seeing, you know, the changes in my father. So it was a, a, an attractive option or it was like, oh, no. It was it was kind of a, a strange thing. So the first thing I did after, you know, I stopped crying and and the cat stopped looking at me was called my mother and said, Mom, I think I'm really stuck. I think I have a drinking problem. And she said, she, you need to call your father. And I was like, oh, no, I can't call him because he's going to know what to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want a solution, really. I know one thing he might say, you're going to have to quit drinking. No, not that. <laughs> it's just, well, the, I called him. He said, okay, you need to get, and I swear he said a 12 by 12, which says I need to get a piece of wood. Yeah. What is this? That, that's and, the oddest name for the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, the book called 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. There's a guy in a, my a regular group at 530 that always calls it the 12 by 12. <laughs> it is a carpentry term. Well, <laughs> you know, it works, whatever yeah. you call it. it just, yeah. You got to do it. So mother my mother and father had been divorced for quite some time and my mother does not drive on the interstate because she doesn't like to merge she got on the interstate picked up my father and they hightailed it over to raleigh and i spent a week of trying to not drink having anxiety and panic attacks with my divorced parents in my small apartment it was great oh wow that's um that's some serious detox <laughs> wow they're just walking you around <laughs> now did you start going to meetings immediately or so i with my first husband we had and i say first husband i always say that and i was like well how many do i plan on having this is kind of weird <laughs> yeah. so my ex-husband we had gone to marital counseling right before we divorced and i remember seeing in the social worker's office you know the csac and and all these um substance abuse certificates and I was like what are we doing here and you know so we stopped the counseling but I remembered those certificates so I gave that guy a call and Ooh. our first meeting he's like I want you to show up at this church at this time on this day and I did it now that meeting was the group's anniversary meeting so there were like hundreds of people there and cake did they have cake? Of food. I was like, what is going on? It's, it's all about food with these people and, and a speaker meeting. And I was scared and, you know, couldn't really connect with anybody because, you know, it's a, it's an anniversary meeting, but I thought this is crazy. It was just huge. It was big. It was overwhelming. And I thought this isn't going to work. So I went back, told, reported what I had seen. And uh, he, told me to try another meeting. And so I, I did that and I walked into the rooms and I couldn't look up from my shoes because I felt the shame. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want anyone to look at me. And I just kept, kept trying until finally when I could look up from my shoes and see the happy people and feel the hope and love in the room that I was, I was, I was hooked. I was like, these people can do it, then I can too. Did you connect it at something in AA at that meeting? 
during the, the first meeting? The second meeting. But in the first meeting, I did connect with the speaker because oh. he spoke about um, he didn't want to die because he had rabbits and he needed to take care of his rabbits. And I had decided that I was going to live out my days as the crazy old cat lady, you know, living down the street with all the cats. And so I'd already collected, you know, three cats and I was on my way. I thought this was the plan. I can do this. I can make it through this world with just raising crazy cats and being the creepy old lady down the street. <laughs> now, the, the second meeting I went to was little did you know that those cats are going to start talking to you. Well, yeah, the cat saved my life. I'm down to one cat, so we have broken the cycle. Um, but, um, the second man I went to was uh, the Big Book Group in Raleigh. And this little old lady was chairing that meeting. And when I walked into that room, we locked eyes. And I looked away. And then as soon as she finished chairing that meeting, she made a beeline towards me. And, you know, it's that kind wow. of kind of, you know, reaching out the hand that I needed because I wasn't going to do it. But I thought, okay, this lady's in charge. You know, she's up on, on the stage behind the desk. She knows what's going on. So I think we can do this. I love that. That That is one of the things that is so incredibly important is for people in the room, people who've got the solution to go talk to the people who don't have it yet. Uh, yeah. I, one of the, you know, I imagine you're probably not supposed to have favorite sponsees, like you're not supposed to have favorite children. But one of my favorite sponsees <laughs> that I had years ago um, happened because he came to he came to the way out, Don, and a sponsee that was with me. Both of us followed him out to the parking lot because he all but bolted out the door at the end of the meeting. And there we stood talking with him under the basketball goal, and the three of us wound up going for a slice of pie at a diner. Mm -hmm. and talking. And it, it was what was needed. He needed someone to reach out to him because, my God, I was terrified when I came into these rooms. I wasn't going to talk to anybody. Yeah, me too. I didn't talk to pe people in the first place. Now I'm like put in this position? No way. Yeah. I love that that's part of your story, Julie. That's fantastic. Yeah, me too. That person had the thing in them that always go talk to the newcomer. At the, if there's a newcomer, make sure they get somebody talks to them and on a personal basis. And even in Zoom meetings, I make it a point to text them and say, after the meeting, let's stay and talk for a minute. Or can we talk, give a telephone call right after the meeting and just make some contact with somebody new? Because it just means I, I was the same way. I didn't know what was going on. It was scary. AA was scary. It was like, I, I was scared of what they were going to tell me to do. I don't want to, I don't know if I want to do what you tell me to do. And also this not drinking thing, this is going to be really hard. Not taking, not <laughs> drinking at all. That's excessive. I think that's asking <laughs> too much. <laughs> So what was so, your so you talked with her and and you connected I assume, right? Well, you know, people were were scary to me drinking, and they're even scarier when you're trying not to drink. And so she was just so great. She's the perfect sponsor that I needed at that time. She took me through the steps. Ooh, uh, we she became your sponsor. She did. 
Mm-hmm. And so she was my sponsor for three years, and then she changed home groups and told me I needed to find a new sponsor. I mean, everybody sponsors in a different way. I mean, that wouldn't mm-hmm. have that would not discourage me to sponsor someone if we were in different home groups. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's how she rolls, that's how she rolls. Yeah. But we would make a, a a point to meet before every meeting or Tuesday night meeting, and we'd meet in the nursery of the church, which is right where I needed to be. And we'd sit in the rock. <laughs> Spiritual <chairs>. kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Sit in the rocking chairs, and she would do most of the talking because you know talking is it was extremely hard because you know I'm starting to feel these feelings, and I don't have the words to describe, you know, how I'm feeling, how to tell her, you know, what's going on. I'm learning these things by listening to everyone else during their shares in a meeting. So it was a lot, a lot of listening for me at the beginning, and. Um, I did eventually, you know, after a year, you know, I got to that point where I was like, oh, I've got this. I'm, I'm super AA. You know, I'm <laughs> going to be like a circuit speaker and, you know, I'm going to fix everything. And at Big Book, the front row was all these old timer gray haired men. And then the old timer women would sit in the row behind them. And so if I shared too many times, this one guy who also always gave me a butterscotch, which was nice. Uh, he's passed away now, but this is old guy. He would just yell out next. <laughs> so it's oh, like, oh, wow. My gosh. He cut you and off. So he, he would cut me off. And then he said that, you, that I would not have anything worthwhile to say that he would want to hear until I had five years. Wow. So that that shut mm. me up. And I kind of never really recovered from that. because Yeah, that's then, harsh. Then, I, you know, you have that fear of do I have something to share? Can I be of service? Can I help? When did you get over that? Because I, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, I'm still not over it. You know, even being area chair, it took a lot for me to stand up there in front of 300, 400 people because I just still have the fear. Well, I was wondering about that because you said <laughs> that you talking is hard. And yet the way I know you is from the, being the area chairperson who's running a meeting filled with what is it? 300 people. How many people come to the area meetings? Our last in-person assembly was 420. We had to open up another room and add chairs. And that was so fantastic. That's wonderful. So real quick, um, because some people who are listening are not going to know what an area chair is or what an area is. Um, What what are we talking about here? Actually, just give a short description of Mm -hmm. what is the service structure in AA and what's the area in that? Okay, so the server structure of A is, we call it the upside down triangle. So the top of the triangle, which is the widest part, are groups. So the groups are in charge. Now, to carry, like, say, okay, North Carolina has 1,100 groups. Well, each, each representative from a group can't go to GSO to share their group's conscience on how we would like to see things done or or what we can do better for AA. And GSO being the general service office in New York. Correct. So, and they meet once a year at the general service conference. And so, 
So to make that possible, the groups are divided into districts. Now, Area 51, which is North Carolina, has 39 districts, three of which are Spanish speaking. So then the districts have a DCM who helps run that, that business meeting. DCM? is a district committee member who is an elected GSR. DCM, GSR is a group, general, group service service representative. general service representative at the group level. Right. We, have, we have tons so, of acronyms, don't we? <laughs> we do, acronyms and apropos, here we go. Yeah. If you just think of the upside down triangle, groups are at the top, it gets more narrow. That's the districts where say like Raleigh has three districts. And so you have the inner belt line groups. I think there's like 39 in that. And then North is 31 and Cary 34. So all these groups can talk on a smaller level about what's going on in their groups and what is going on in AA as a whole at their district level. Now the district committee member who runs that meeting can take that voice to the area level, which is the entire state of North Carolina where we can talk about solutions and, and things that are going on and, and potentially things that our general service office in New York are wanting to accomplish. The district committee members at the area level set the agenda for the assembly. And the assembly meets twice a year where all the groups can send a representative to carry their voice um, and group conscience at the area level. Now, and that is conference so, is what you were just talking about. Those 400 and some. Right. The assembly. Right, that's, an assembly. Some that's an assembly. Yeah, so the assembly. Now, why this is important, because the, the whole entire purpose of an area is to elect a delegate. And the delegate carries the group conscience of the entire state of North Carolina to the general service conference. So 93 different delegates from the all areas in the United States and Canada go to this big meeting in April. So it's hard for the delegate to visit all 1,100 groups, so it's easier to get the groups to come to the delegate. That's right. So if I have a concern about something with A, like for example, Zoom meetings can't get a service number. So the way that I would talk to New York about that is bring it up to my group, and then the GSR of the group takes that to the area, to the district, and the district takes it to the area, and the area takes it to GSO. That is one way to do it. A group can send an agenda item suggested, suggested agenda item directly to GSO. You can skip that whole process some people think that it may carry a little more weight because we've discussed it with 400 people mm. and we still <laughs> think it's relevant and useful. Yeah. So say like the virtual area that you're talking about is coming up in conference this year. So yes. we have the area 51 motion of creating a 94th virtual area. South Florida thinks virtual, air, virtual groups should register within the district that they reside. Right. There's a group that sent their own suggestion who's been meeting virtually since 2016, and they just want the trustees or the general service office to just figure out how to get it done and they don't care how. 
Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. really neat that in Washington state, there's just a district. And I got to talk to them, which was so cool because of this virtual capacity that we have now, thanks to COVID, this yes. little silver lining. Yes. I got to go to Washington state and talk to the, a district there because they're really concerned about virtual groups not having a voice or a vote in our service mm. structure. Right. So that's my that concern. Was, that's it's a really significant cool. point. And, and what about these uh, virtual service groups that, exi or, uh, that exist only in cyberspace? They don't have a physical district in which they reside. That, okay. that was my, I, so I debated that with the delegate from Florida and it was a lovely discussion. She was so, so just kind. She's like, well, the GSR, the group, that's where the, the group resides. I said, well, GSRs rotate every two years. This is the so problem. are you going to have to re-register? Yeah. I yeah, that would be tough. Yeah. And virtual groups aren't tied to any geographical location. They can they can generally be there, but they're not actually tied to it. No, not to. So the, the cool thing that I'm hearing then is that, you know, the general service structure, while there are other things that, that occur within general service, um, the primary function of the general service structure is communication through representation. Yes. And it goes both ways. So the communication goes from the groups to the districts, to the areas. sometimes jumping around a little bit for groups, districts, areas, general service conference, and then back general service conference to the areas, to the districts, to the groups. And that's why things sometimes take a while to happen in AA. <laughs> but we do get things done. And typically things are really thoroughly discussed. Oh, yeah. Um, because of the, the time that it takes and the process that we go through. I want to bring this back to the personal, Julie. So okay. how did you get to the place where for someone who talking's hard, doesn't want to speak in front of people and carrying this crusty old timers recommendation, you don't say anything till you've been sober for five years. <laughs> which by the way, I disagree with. Uh, Me too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, the reason I disagree with it was I had somebody ask me to sponsor him when I was one month sober and I was so, Oh, I can't do that. I, I you know, I, and you I had, had a month more experience than he did. That's what my sponsor said. He said, you've been sober a month. You know how to stay sober one day at a time. Don't you? As far as he's concerned, a month is forever mm -hmm. and you go ahead and sponsor him. And that'll be a challenge for you to keep up. So we, wherever we are, we can do service work. It's not time. Mm -mm. So I don't agree with that, yeah. with that at all. But I, I, I totally feel the same way. I have, I've had more spiritual growth in learning from listening to a newcomer asking a question. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So Julie, were you sponsored into general service? So, we were at a business meeting and they were going around the room to see who was willing to stand for um, alternate GSR. And so they're going around and I look over at my sponsor and she's nodding enthusiastically. And I'm like, okay, I've got to put my hand up. And so I did it. And when it got around to her side of the room and she said, no, I thought, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love that. 
she I was always pushed you willing. in the deep end. <laughs> yeah, I totally. And I was willing to take her suggestions, you know, and if she said this is a good idea, then I was going to do it. Can you tie the service work that you did that your willingness to do that and all to some step or some experience of working the steps that brought you out of the need to shut up and not participate and protect yourself (laughs) (laughs) to put yourself out there like that. that. That's a really, I never really thought about trying to line that up before. And so that was at the point where I was stuck trying to write my fourth step because I could not figure out what this thing looked like, even though, you know, my sponsor showed me the columns in, in the big book. The fourth step is to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Yeah. So we looked at the columns in the big book. And when we looked at the 12 and 12, you know, they talk a lot about the seven deadly sins. And I was like, well, I could do it around that. And I talked to this other person, they said something about doing alphabetically. And I said, okay. And he's like, start with aardvark and then write what, you know, your resentments against aardvark. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Oh my God. Make sure well, you don't get the thick dictionary. <laughs> we're, you know what? We're all here because we're not all there. Yeah. And, what, and you know, another suggestion was I had to get a yellow legal pad, a number two yellow pencil and go to a mountaintop. And then finally, it was, I was told that it was my turn to make coffee for the, the group. And so what I found out was that by going an hour early, because, you know, those big urns take forever to perk, mm-hmm. the other people who are stuck on their fourth steps were doing the same thing. And so I learned by doing something, setting up the chairs, making the coffee, by using my hands, I was able to open my mouth and talk to these people. And, you know, some of the guys there were from our uh, treatment center, homeless shelter, and they, they brought me like dittos and printouts of how to work the steps from their facility. Yeah, it was oh, very great. helpful. But yeah, I finally just put pen to paper and and just wrote it out and my sponsor says well i've never seen it done this way and i was like well mission accomplished you know <laughs> <laughs> but i love but that story you can tie that to opening that's, up yeah so it's, i learned that by being of service mm-hmm. even general service even making the coffee setting up the chairs just holding the key to the group that was a way for me to be able to talk I have heard that as well. I've heard other people, a matter of fact, a DCM shared that with me, that doing that service before and after the meeting wasn't so much about doing the work. It was that it provided me an opportunity to talk with the other people who were doing the work. Yeah, it forced Um, me to get to know people. Yeah. It forced me to network. And as I've gone, you know, through the service structure and my, my network has built all the, you know, huge, it's a huge network now that encompasses the whole state. This is a gift, a gift that general service has given to me. I am not, you know, seeking any sort of glory or fame by being up behind the podium. It scares me to death. Before every assembly, um, our archivist, Keith, tells me, don't fuck it up. And then I go get a hug from Elizabeth and a hug from Kenneth. And then I go up there shaking and I'm grabbing onto the podium 
And then suddenly the love from the room, which is how I discovered my higher power, takes over and I'm able to get the job done. How incredible is it to stand in front of a room of people, whether it's you know 10 people in a group or, or 420 people at an assembly, and to know that they are rooting for your success. They want you to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, you know, during the debates, you're not feeling that way. But... I'm sure you're not. <laughs> do, I, do I owe you any amends, Julie? <laughs> I promise I didn't run away to California to get away from that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the cool thing about debates is when they do get heated and there is, you know, someone who goes to the mic and you kind of feel like, well, that was unfortunate that they said that. It all comes from a place of love for AA. They want the best mm. for AA. We are all there for the same, ultimately yeah. the same reason. And yeah. you, get, you get 450 alcoholics in a room, every single one of them has an opinion. Totally. <laughs> and a there, strong opinion. <laughs> there was an hour long discussion at one assembly about what color the get help button should be on our website. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, the so my buddy John goes goes to the microphone and goes, isn't it great that you know 350 people are trying to redesign a website? And then he <laughs> wanted to recommit it back to the subcommittee. I was like, that was great <laughs> after an hour. But you know, I mean, it, it is also, you, you, Don, your comment, you know, 450 people with an opinion. Um, but what happens at these assemblies and, and these, these other business meetings that happen? And I love this, is that group conscience forms. We get an informed, opinion by participating in it. Um, so while I might walk in there with an opinion that is based on the information that I have in, in, you know, in my research or whatever, when we all come together, we wind up informing each other through this process so that we really do come to that, um, that group conscience, that, that agreed upon thing. And it may not be the thing that I wanted, it may not, I, you know, the, the area may not do what I wanted the area to do. And the coolest thing is that as heated as that debate can be, when it's over, we're all friends. People are, I mean, the, the conversations in, in the hallways and, and all that stuff are just as amiable as they were before it. The same is true at home group meetings. Yeah. On, I on love that, that level. And, and the same thing's true is I might not get my way. But the group, the group may not agree with my point of view, but I do learn that I can trust the group altogether somehow or other. Okay, let's go on another tact here. Now, when I first started doing GSR work, I found it to be in that store of stuff like an hour-long debate at this meeting on the color of a button on the website to be incredibly tedious. And it was like, what? what? And do I have to sit here and do this? Over the course of three years of going to the meetings and participating, I began to see exactly what we're talking about. This is like the, the higher power speaking through the whole group and coming to a decision on all kinds of things that helps AA to operate so that at the level of somebody new coming in, that there'll be meetings there and there'll be literature there and there'll be 
the hand of AA. The hand of AA there. So I began to see the beauty of the importance of all the people who are willing to do the service work. But the number of people who are willing to do the service work is minuscule. What would you say the percentage of members of AA who give a <laughs> damn about doing service work is? You know, I think it's like 5%. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I would man. say that it's low, but I, I think that it's, it's that misperception. So, so the, the negative comments that I hear about service work, general service work, is that it's political. Yes. And it does. It feels political. It can. It can feel political, but it's, it's tedious. That, it, it again is that contempt prior to investigation that gets in the way. Okay. Um, I've got one more question. I was like the whole week been thinking, I can't wait to talk to Julie about this. Oh, How do you deal with the resentment? of people who won't participate in the service structure or who say they're going to participate in the service structure and don't. Like, for example, I've known multiple groups that have a GSR representative that says they're the GSR representative and they never go to a, a meeting. You know, I changed from being someone who was kind of like, okay, I understand it's important and people need to do it. It's not for me. But bless those people who are doing it. But I, you know, I, I don't like service work. To now, it's like, it's so important. And I feel it. So when I make an announcement, there is an edge of contempt in my voice, I've noticed. And I've noticed Sam doing this as well, making an announcement about, and if you have a GSR representative who actually will go to a GSR meeting or something like that, you can feel it leaking out a kind of a judgment on people who don't participate. It's no way to attract anyone to service mm -hmm. work, but it just comes up in me. I'm not empty when I'm pushing <laughs> that way. You know what I mean? Talking about being yeah. empty. I need to let go of that. I'm working on letting go of that. How do you deal with that? I, or is it, it not it, a problem? But no, it's a problem because <laughs> 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 it's, it's irked me for many times people will take a position in title only. But, you know, some people will take a sponsor in name only. Mm -hmm. It's totally up to them to either get involved or don't. But I fear that, you know, the, don't take the position if you're not going to do the work because there's some quiet other person like me who is willing to try it and then just get totally sucked in and have a, you know, just a wonderful life yeah. just for being involved. You're preventing somebody else from getting involved. Preventing someone from being of service, but it's also, you know, if, if someone is not willing to do the work and they have stood for a position and been elected to it uh, and they're not doing it, it's the responsibility of the group, of the people that they represent to call them on it. This is what you stood for, and this is what you're supposed to be doing, and we need you to do that. And if you're not able to or, or are unwilling to, yes, then we need someone who will. So how do you deal with it? Well, I just how throw the, yeah. uh, this statistic out. You know, there are 1,100 groups, right, in North Carolina, and we're seeing four, 300 to 450 people at our assemblies. That's like 25% representation, right? And that's considered really good mm -hmm. 
because I've talked to a lot of other areas and GSO points those areas who are struggling to North Carolina to get help. And hmm. I remember being a GSR for Big Book and there was this one other voice in the group that was just louder and stronger than mine, which could be anybody because back then I just had no. So anytime I'd call a business meeting, that person would talk about, oh, it's all of the politics and, and this stuff and that. But I felt it was my duty as a GSR to at least pass along the communication. That was my role. Mm -hmm. If the group decides they, they don't care, they don't want to hear it, then that's, that's on them. But I've done my part. And I think it's tough to call someone out on the carpet. I mean, I've had to do it even as area really chair. Hard. And as you know, like maybe it's time you resigned, you know, and it, it's mm -hmm. a hard conversation, but ultimately the person who filled the shoes, it is, they've been such a great, wonderful opportunity to see them grow. So I think it's that tough conversation. And I, sometimes I feel like A as a whole, we're getting a little soft. Yes, that old timer was mean to me and said I shouldn't speak till I have five years. But I learned a lot of humility in that lesson. And you don't hear, at least in, around this area, I've been visiting some groups in Pennsylvania and they're still a little, little gruff and grumpy. Um, <laughs> ah. We're so afraid to offend someone and run them off or turn them away from AA. Where's the balance? It's hard. Mm -hmm. Julie, I would, I would yeah. love to know. So my experiences um, in general service uh, the gifts that I've gotten from general service. You know, I, I love that I got sober. I love that I've worked the steps and, and, and incorporating that the lessons that I've gotten from those are part of my life. But I have also gotten so much from being active in general service that has helped me in other portions of my life outside of AA. Um, have, have you, that experience, anything particular come to mind? Totally. Um just any general business meeting has taught me how to interact in this world. Um, it's taught me that, you know, you know, when I was drinking, I'd always have the, I have a great idea and then I'd go do it. And now I know that, you know, if I get that, I have a great idea to run it by other people, you know, just to check to make sure that it's a great idea. It's taught me accountability. It's taught me that when I say I want to do something, I show up and I do it learning to actively listen you know mm -hmm. I can and I can get it when I was a GSR going to the first assembly and I saw the people up on the stage and they're wearing their suits and the women were wearing dresses and I thought well they they think they're somebody right <laughs> and then and I thought <laughs> yeah. well well I'm never going to do that because I'm not going to wear a dress and go up there and and do that because that's just not my style and but I had this admiration for them because I thought, well, they must be really knowledgeable. And, and as I worked through going down the service structure, because my willingness always has told me whenever asked, you know, at least try. And so I got accidentally elected all the way to, to where I am now. Um, just by saying, because um, the only thing is you're saying, yes, I'm willing, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you're putting your name out there. And it, I think, you know, 5% of people being willing to do general service, that's probably about right. Because, mm -hmm. And I get the people who think that, you know, service is in the home group level. 
reaching out to the sick and suffering alcoholic on a person to person basis is what we are supposed to be doing. That is our primary purpose is to carry the message. But when I found out, when I became a part of general service, I became a part of this giant hand of AA. And I got in the middle. And there's just comfort and power uh, and the reach is broader. A group can't afford billboards across North Carolina, but if we all put our dollar in the basket and it goes into one big basket at the area, the area can buy billboards across North Carolina. But we have to have representation and communication to know that that is something that we want to do, or is it, you know, we can't just rely on one person to make that decision. Well, that's the reason for it. That's the reason for bearing through the tedium <laughs> and participating <laughs> at the higher level and for of AA with the higher level, I just mean by in the larger level in the group structure, in the structure. What's the word? In the structure. General system. service structure. Structure of AA. The lower yeah. levels of the general service structure. It's weird because the, it's not the higher levels. It's the lower levels. It's the bowels of AA. That's the where you operate, <laughs> Julie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Filled totally with our lower bowels. angels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, watch out, Julie. Something's about to swoop. <laughs> It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Spammy. <laughs> Spammy. <laughs> we, we have a question from Frank in Philly. How did you discover your ideal of a higher power? What does that mean to you and how is that useful? Wow, there's a lot of questions in that question. <laughs> my ideal of a I like that way of saying it, my ideal of a higher power. There's step 3 made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So we could change it to, to the care of a higher power. That's my ideal of a higher power. It's my understanding of what is this thing that I'm turning my will, the care of my life over to. Because I've proved before I came to AA that my will and my power, I'm really good at screwing it all up. <laughs> I'm really good at making a bigger mess. I like to take a bunch of things together and wrap them all together and make the mess bigger and bigger until I've got mountains. <laughs> Bulldozing mountains. So I need a higher power. And my ideal of a higher power has changed, you know, every year, all the time. It's always changing. I know that there, there is a higher power that I can depend on and ask for help to change me, not to change others, and not to change situations, not a Santa Claus. Just my ideal is there is some source that I'm connected to that 
you're connected to, Sam, that you're connected to, Julie, that is a, something I can tap into. And if I am distressed, I can ask for help and be calmed. How that works, I don't know. Right now, I think of it as emptiness because I've been reading the Tao as my daily meditation. And that's really working for me. I'm becoming as empty as a Fabergé egg. There's nothing inside, Sam. Well, I've kind of known that for a while. <laughs> your, your suspicions have been confirmed. <laughs> I am, the idea of being empty, the idea of not forcing anything, try to live in such a way that I'm not pushing, but I'm available to fill any place that where I can be of help. I ask my higher power for direction and then am available to what is put in front of me. And it's a different way of living, but that's my ideal. All right. Well, Julie, how did you discover your ideal of a higher power? What does that mean to you and how is that useful? I remember coming into the rooms and seeing, you know, God and everything. And I thought, oh, geez, <laughs> you know, because I moved from El Paso, Texas to East Tennessee when I was 13. And it seems like the first question they ask you is, what's your name? And the second question they ask is, are you saved? And I don't, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, am I saved? Saved from what? Because my family was not a religious family. You know, my father was in the throes of alcoholism. So that was our higher power then. And, you know, I never thought, you know, that this God character had any time for me or any interest in me. Maybe for you all, you all can follow that. And that's just fine. Do your thing. You do you. And I came into the rooms and I learned that Luckily that, that home, my first home group was really big and very diverse. So I could see all different kinds of people, race, creed, socioeconomic, everything. So different, but they were all there trying to stay away from a drink one day at a time. And I could feel that energy of hope in the rooms. And so as I go through the steps and I'm trying to figure out if I'm willing to turn my life over to this this God who I don't understand and is okay for those people, but I'm not too sure for me. I just felt like maybe that concept of just this Christian God is, is too small of a box to capture this energy that I'm feeling from these people in this room. I just, I don't, I think the longer as I stay in the rooms, you know, my, my idea of a higher power ebbs and flows. And it changes. It's always still that been that energy in the rooms. And even though we've gone to Zoom, I can still feel that energy. And I can still feel a part of, which has been a remarkable, amazing thing. That's why I always, in a Zoom room, I've got my camera on so that people can see me. And the newcomer who doesn't have their camera on, that they're just trying to dip their toe in, maybe mm -hmm. they can still see and feel that energy and hope coming from us. I know that that higher power and energy comes to me through other people. So I have to stay in the middle. I have to, you know, stay engaged. And it's easy to lose that connection. And it frightens me 
But as long as I stay of service and attending meetings and, you know, things got crazy and the group stepped up and just switched over to a virtual format. And that was really an amazing process to see as, as the area chair, because it was not mandated by the area. The groups did it. It was so cool. <laughs> that's, that's my higher power, that energy, yeah. those people figuring it out. And I want to be a part of that. And I want them to help me. I love that. That's fantastic. Thank you. All right, Sam, how did you discover your ideal of a higher power? What does that mean to you? And how is that useful? Oh, wait, where'd Sam go? (laughs) Turn your camera on, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So I too grew up in a, uh, in a a Christian uh, area uh, and I grew up in uh, uh, Baptist and Presbyterian churches. I I professed to to be a Baptisterian uh, through my childhood. Uh, but uh, when I came into AA, uh, I could not approach that God. Uh, and I was really grateful that I heard other people in the meetings talk about how the, the God they grew up with did not work for them for this. Uh, and so it gave me some freedom. And that was what I needed. Uh, and I've shared many times, Don, you know, I, hearing you tell your story about, I've got to, it takes 10 minutes for me to define this thing. And then I found out it was just easier to say the word God. I know what I mean when I say God. And I adopted that immediately because I'm an atheist. How weird that I am an atheist that prays to God, but it works. And the thing that, that has worked for me, once I got through that initial working of the steps with a sponsor where I completely rewrote the third step prayer so that it fit me. Uh, And that was at her direction. Just do this. Um, Ultimately to find my ideal of a higher power. I stopped looking. I stopped questioning and I just accept what is, I don't need to define it now. And when I let go of needing to box in this thing, to categorize it, to give it description, and I get, I get chills like I'm getting right now. I don't, I don't know, and I don't need to know. What I know is that my life has changed incredibly over these many years because I have taken in living this program and the things that I have learned in it and stopped trying to bulldoze my way through life, but rather have tried to find how can I align my thinking and actions with what's going on around me. Now, that doesn't mean that I lose my individuality or anything like that. And I still have moments when I'm truly an asshole, but my moments of an asshole are more often useful in the world than not. <laughs> What's the name of your superhero again? The Naked Owl. <laughs> super <laughs> super villain. Super villain. A super villain who uses his powers, powers of villainy for good. For good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad that's working for you, Sam. <laughs> well, I think that the idea of higher power for me mostly has become an experience rather than some definition or some concept. I'm just giving up on the concept idea. And it's the experience that I feel in connecting to other people and connecting to people in rooms. Julie, I liked what you said about so much about, because I feel that connection here. So glad to 
get to know you and that you've got your camera on, we really can connect <laughs> to each other via Zoom. It's Zoom is very limited compared to face to face, but we have audio and we have visual. And when you turn all that on, you really can't connect to someone. So, you know, I feel the connection with you and it's good to get to know you today. And totally like at the first virtual assembly, I thought it was so cool that all the officers and coordinators and GSRs and DCMs, we were all the same size square. And yes. that's the way it oh, should yes. be. yes. Love that. Yeah. What a <laughs> wonderful observation. <laughs> all right. Julie, thank, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, 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 watch out. I see. I see. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, the Boiled Out podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website at boiledowlaa.org. You can email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org or just visit the website. Uh, if you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Uh, please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It's not endorsed by AA World Services. Got yourself a coffee, Julie? It is the coffee shop. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm jumpy enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and no one ever should drink decaf. That's made from the dirt that coffee beans grow in. <laughs> There's something wrong with that. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs>